Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm Harris Faulkner. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Janice Dean. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, August 18th, 2023. I'm Jared Halpern. Can any Republican catch former President Trump? That's why I think they're really taking their time before they lock in on a candidate because they know that this country is uh, in, it's heading in the wrong direction. It's heading at a, at a rapid pace and we need to get it turned around as quickly as we can. We speak with Iowa's Republican governor, Kim Reynolds, about her state's role in narrowing the presidential field. I'm Lisa Brady. Better may not be good enough in the Federal Reserve's fight against inflation. This idea that the Fed is is going to stop raising rates, um, that's fiction. We speak with Shark Tank's Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary. And I'm Will Kane, and I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. How do you overcome a 27-point deficit? That's the challenge for Republicans hoping to overcome the sizable lead of former President Trump in the first caucus state of Iowa. We love Iowa. Feel like you're pretty popular in Iowa? I guess so. This is the biggest crowd they've ever had, they say. So I love them and they love me. That's a good combination. A real clear politics average of polls puts the former president at 44 percent. A distant second is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis at 17. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott is the only other candidate near double digits. Still, Iowa around caucus time can be filled with political surprises. I like Donald Trump. I voted for him Um, this time around. It's iffy, I guess. That voter speaking with Fox News at Iowa's State Fair, where most GOP candidates are spending some time with the state's governor at her Fairside Chats. Don't believe the polls. Listen, it is absolutely wide open. It is still early. Republican Governor Kim Reynolds. Uh, I think we'll see what happens with the first debate and then we'll continue to People are just now starting to really pay attention. So I've been on the ground for eight days now and uh, talking to a lot of Iowans. I've done a lot of events. They asked me to do an event and any of the candidates and I've got, you know, my schedule's open. I do it. I have been just so happy uh, with all of them, with the turnout at all of the different events. It's saying people going to a lot of events. We've had a really good turnout with the Fairside Chat. So people are listening. They're asking really good questions. They're listening to responses. And so I think, you know, it is far, far, far from over. What's the key to winning a state like Iowa? It's 99 counties, so it's a relatively small state. It, it doesn't cost a lot to campaign in Iowa, so it's not just about who has the most money. It is actually just getting out and getting in front of Iowans. You know, the state there is a great place to be because we'll have over a million people. We're going to set another record. We're about 25,000 up from where we were a year ago. Iowans are familiar with candidates being on the fairground, so they will actually walk right up to them, uh, ask them a question, introduce themselves. You know, just the interaction is incredible. I have had so many people come up and just thank me for doing the chats because 
they'd gone to all of them. They appreciated the opportunity to hear the responses, to get to maybe ask their own personal questions. So that has gone really well. But mainly it's just getting out and talking to islands. The other advantage is um, we have a lot of people from out of state that are here that never have the opportunity to interact with candidates like they've been able to do here at the fair. I know that these fairside chats have been about sort of learning the personal stories of these candidates, trying to mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. understand that, but it's about policy as well. And, and are you starting to see right. some policy differences emerge between these Republican candidates? Well, you know, I think every one of them believes and understands how important it is to be close the border. I think every single one of them needs to understand that we need to get spending in check. Honestly, I think Iowa is a state that's a great example. I think we're with the policies that we put in place are actually showing the alternative to the Biden administration. So it's to get spending in check, to reduce the size of government, to get it better aligned, to close the border because of the issues that we're dealing with, with the drugs and the fentanyl. And so China, uh, you know, they understand that peace is, is driven through strength. Uh, They talk a lot about some of the things that they're going to do with that. So uh, variations to maybe how they would go about it. But I think they all pretty much line up on the issues that need to be addressed on day one. And most importantly, even when they talk about, you know, somebody that respect the people, respect this country, respect their freedom, but that ultimately can win. And so that's why I think they're really taking their time before they lock in on a candidate because they know that this country is uh, in, it's heading in the wrong direction. It's heading in a, at a rapid pace, and we need to get it turned around as quickly as we can. Let's talk then about some of the other uh, domestic issues. You, for instance, just yes. this year signed uh, the heartbeat bill in, in Iowa, um, yep. one of the more restrictive yep. abortion bills in the country. Um, is that in, in step with where you think the country is, with where Iowans are, as we've seen some of these uh, abortion restrictions be voted down or, or eliminated in other states around the country? You know, I ran in 2018. I ran as a pro-life governor. I had just signed the heartbeat bill. In 2018, uh, I was elected in a really tough year for Republicans. Uh, we lost two congressional seats. We lost seats in our the Iowa uh, State House. And uh, I was able, I ran against a self-financer that could fund uh, the race that was a pro-abortion. I was able to win that race by about two percentage points. That was after signing a fetal heartbeat bill. Um, I have made it very clear that, you know, I believe life is absolutely important without the fundamental right to life. Nothing else is important. I uh, ran again in 2022 and and, uh, won by almost 19 points. And so, yes, uh, we have a, we, I won. We flipped two statewide. We have a supermajority in the Senate. We have a near supermajority in the House. And a majority of those are pro-life candidates. So here's the other side of the story. If you look to Minnesota, they just passed a bill that says that you can abort a baby up to and after birth. And I do not believe that that's where I, I repressed the fetal heartbeat bill with exceptions too. I want to make that clear. I don't believe that that's where Americans are at, that they believe that you should kill a baby up to and after the moment of birth. They just passed legislation. We have multiple democratic led states that are doing that. That's ultimately where they want to go. And I do not believe that that is where the American people are at. And we're certainly an outlier when you look at other countries across the world. You're not planning on endorsing before the caucuses, are you? Well, I'm staying neutral right now. I, I'm, I've said I'll never say, I won't say never, you know, we'll wait and see. But my role right now is to welcome them to the state. 
and to make sure that, uh, you know, to try to help build a crowd, to help, you know, if they call and ask about events that I think that they should be at, then we're willing to help in that respect as well. So that's really the role that I'm playing right now. At some point that might change, but right now I'm focused on making sure that they all feel welcome here, encouraging them to go to all 99 counties, to get out there in the communities, you know, maybe gas up, stop at a restaurant, stop and buy a few items at some of the businesses on Main Street. But most importantly, uh, talking to Iowans, it helps them. It really helps them test their message, you know, see what the reaction is. I think it makes them better candidates because of the interaction with Iowans. And, and really, that's kind of a role that we play with First Nation Caucus. But our role, honestly, is to start to narrow the field. So it'll happen on January 15th, and we'll head to the candidates will head to New Hampshire and then South Carolina, and by then, you know, there's always a surprise. They start to gain some momentum. And ultimately, if you're not in those top tier, the funding starts to dry up and the field starts to narrow. Let me talk to you about education, because I know uh, another thing that's for for parents this year at the school year is the student's uh, first education savings account. This is essentially money that the state is providing to families that qualify, which I think is sort of the lower middle income, lower income families, right, to maybe defer the cost of private tuition? So what it is is that it's the Students First Act, it's um, ESAs, and so actually, you know, it's universal school choice. Uh, we passed that in the first two weeks of the legislative session. We actually are leading an educational freedom initiative really across the country. You're seeing more and more states that are adopting this. So any child that's going in, anybody that's in public school right now, our, our kindergartners, uh, kids that are starting kindergarten, they qualify for the per-pupil funding, which is about $7,600. And then because we had kids that were already in private school, that's where we do the income base. So if they're at, if the family is at 300% of federal poverty level or below, then they would qualify for an ESA this year. Next year, that bumps to 400% of FPL, of federal poverty level. And that's only for the kids that are in private school currently. And then the next year, it's open for everybody. And after going through COVID, I really doubled down on this because prior to the ESA bill, only parents that had the resources had the choices of sending their children to an educational system where they thought that their child could thrive and be the best that they could be. If you didn't have the money to do it, you were stuck. And during COVID, when I opened schools back up, I actually had Des Moines Public School uh, sue me to keep the kids out of school. That's one of our, that is our largest school district in the state. And uh, fortunately for the parents that had money, they were able to get their kids to another school so their kids could continue to get an education and most importantly play sports where, again, the kids that needed it most didn't have the funds, and they were the ones that were kept out of school. So I uh, believe it's the right thing to do, and, and, and at the same time, we actually provided long overdue flexibility for public schools, including increasing teacher salaries. But Sorry, this, I'm passionate about this. So, so no, I understand. Going and it's hard to shut me down. I understand. <laughs> A couple of follow-ups, so just so I understand it better. Does yes. this then pull money out yeah. of what otherwise would go to public school no. systems? no. No, I put new money in because our fiscal health is strong. We're actually investing in priorities like education and broadband and childcare and housing and still cutting taxes at the same time, and we still have a significant surplus. So we put more money into the system. And actually, if you are a public school, I'm only taking the state dollars. It's only the state dollars that are following the child. The federal and local dollars, federal and local dollars stay with the public school, and they don't have the child to teach. On top of that, if you, uh, for the children that were in a private school, 
even though they were never in the public school system, that because of the way the funding runs, and we call them categorical, those public schools retain about $1,200 for each student that's in the, that was in the private school that they've never taught. So they're actually getting additional funds for kids that they never even had in their system. Does this program provide enough for any family to choose a non-public school? In other words, if you qualify, and I know, again, you talked about sort of these, these income cap, right? If you're below that income right. cap, maybe even on the lower end of that income cap, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year. Some of these schools are still very expensive for, especially for a family with multiple children. Do they still have that option yeah. that that other families have? Even yeah, with because, this incentive? because there's other. Yes, they do because there's other funding available too. So we also have student tuition organization. It's a credit that you can, you know, provide a funding for the STO and write it off as a tax credit, and then the schools can help reduce the cost. So there is a tax credit program that helps with some of the costs. And then almost all of them have a foundation where they raise money into it too. And you're allowed to stack the funding. So yeah, you know, we'll, we'll monitor it, but yeah, it's better than nothing. It certainly does open opportunities. And a lot of the kids that we're using, the ones especially that were at 300% of federal poverty and below, uh, they'll be able to take advantage of the um, ESA and then that will open up some of the funding that they were receiving for, for other kids. So that'll go further. So we think that that'll be okay. Governor Reynolds, I appreciate the time. Enjoy the next few months uh, living in the center of the political universe. <laughs> and we'll continue our I conversations as we get closer to the caucuses. Appreciate the time, Governor. Yeah, check back in with me and we'll give you an update as we get closer. I'd love that. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Will Kane with your Fox News commentary coming up. He's been pitching it for weeks, but Bidenomics remains a tough sell for the president. And I'm not here to declare victory on the economy. I'm here to say we have a plan that's turning things around incredibly quickly. That's not reflected in the president's poll numbers as many Americans continue to struggle. Eighty percent say the economy is only in fair or poor shape in a new Fox News poll. More than half say President Biden has made it worse and that gasoline, grocery and utility costs are a problem for their family. Um, I'd say it's getting worse. Groceries have gone up, inflation and everything. It's terrible. We, we need to go to work, come home, that's all I can do. Still, overall inflation has been cooling, up 3.2% in July compared to a year ago. That's down from a peak of 9%, but still above the Fed's 2% target, with the central bank facing another interest rate decision next month. After 11 rate hikes since March of last year, sending the cost of borrowing soaring for consumers and businesses alike, the economy is holding up better than some economists expected. And many who had warned of a recession aren't expecting one anymore at least for now. No, we're not out of the woods, but the um, long-awaited soft landing seems to be rolling out. Shark Tank investor Kevin O'Leary, also known as Mr. Wonderful. This is 
highly unprecedented because usually the pace of rate hikes determines the depth of the recession and this is one of the fastest increases in rates ever and so one would have thought a steep decline would have occurred but I speculate that the reason that hasn't happened is the amount of money that is still sloshing around the system and hasn't even been printed yet close to a trillion dollars sitting in the CHIPS Science Act and the Inflation Reduction Act is still yet not put to work and so the market anticipates that and that's why you're seeing new highs in some of the sectors of the S&P because if you're an S&P 500 company you've got no problems you've got a trillion dollars that's going to be printed for you over the next 36 months where the cracks are showing and I don't think we know the outcome yet is in small business in America employers between five and five hundred uh, that have had this remarkable change in their cost of capital and now with the collapse of some regional banks and and others that have to go through refinancing their balance sheets on commercial real estate it's highly likely that that's where we're going to see the next trouble occur as the fed weighs its next move on rate hikes consumers who drive so much of the economy always seem to be a lot more resilient than many expected even though inflation remains elevated um, how is that possible <laughs> what what is everybody spending money on well that's a very good observation you're making because again it's unprecedented to have full employment when your unemployment is under four percent you're at full employment we're there to have inflation core inflation is still above four percent and so the, this idea that the Fed is, is going to stop raising rates, um, that's fiction. Uh, their mandate is to get to 2%. They're going to keep going till they get there. Uh, I, I would speculate that, you know, the September hike um, is at, you know, somewhere between 30 and 50%. But these numbers around core inflation, particularly energy and food, are, are really sticky. Gasoline and food are what consumers look at every week, every day and they can affect election cycles and, and outcomes actually so inflation is a mandate killer uh, I, I would think you know uh, as we go into a presidential cycle here that's going to be the focus of both parties but I, I go back to the core reason when you print this much money in 36 months it's been three years of all kinds of programs it started with the PPP and it went to all kinds of bills this is a lot of liquidity and when you ask why the consumer is so healthy well a lot of that liquidity is still in the consumer's pocket and it, it, it looks to me like we're going to probably remain buoyant from the consumer's point of view through the rest of this year now what happens in 2024 is anybody's bet and that's where the market is starting to look with gas prices hovering around four dollars a gallon that doesn't just impact consumers of course it impacts a lot of businesses too Walmart just released a second quarter report that blew out expectations, a more than 6% increase in same-store sales. Target sales, though, dropped more than 5%. Both of those chains and their customers face the same challenges, including things like you know, higher gas prices. Why are they going in different directions? Merchandising. Walmart's better at merchandising. They have a very, very large sector in their stores on food. Um, they know what customers are looking to buy in other goods. Right now, if you're a buyer at Target, you're buying for spring. And you're having to make bets. You're trying to figure out, okay, what are people going to want in spring? Is it large screen TVs? Is it bicycles? Is it jeans? What is it? 
And to the extent that you have a master plan and you're good at executing on it, you avoid what's happened to them in this last quarter. Markdowns, not having the right inventory in the right places. They were clipped with that. And then they also had this extraordinary situation around a very small category, but it caused them a lot of heartache with their customer base. You saw it happen to Bud Light first, this concept of getting involved in gender identity and providing merchandise that supports a, a gender identity narrative is, is a new one uh, for corporate America. In fact, I, I'm going to be teaching that case this fall, the Bud Light case, in multiple business schools because there's never been anything like it. And to a certain extent, that happened to Target in clothing. They waded into gender neutral clothing, if you want to call it that, or whatever you want to call it, and that did not sit well with millions of their customers for whatever reason and they'll probably fix that. Bud Light's beyond a mistake. It's a one time, never happened before in, in the beer industry, which is a commodity. To lose 25% market share in six weeks has never, ever been achieved, never. And it's almost impossible to think that could happen, but it did, and it, it's important that new managers coming to the market understand what happened there. Uh, a study of the idiot management involved, the decisions they made, very important. Is there another trend, either positive or negative, um, that maybe is being overlooked in the economy or the corporate world right now? There is. There's a new risk and a new benefit. So the, the new America, the new digital 2.0 America, is now 50% direct to consumer in, in all kinds of small and large companies. You can even see it with a behemoth like Nike. Uh, prior to the pandemic, they were lucky to make 20% direct to consumer. Today, they're almost 50%. And when you sell direct to the consumer, your only cost are customer acquisition, logistics of shipping, and manufacturing costs. So your margins can go up 30%, 40%. The way they got there was the use of social media. Unpaid, paid, a brand new methodology of marketing, uh, using uh, influencers. And so there's a pro and a con to that. You know, you have, the, you, you have a successful influencer, maybe a Kardashian or Jay-Z, or you have one that blows up uh, in the case of what occurred in, in, in Bud Light um, or Kanye West. Uh, billions of dollars had to be written off there. And so that is a new risk that every corporation looks at. And so when you think about risk committees, you've got a compensation committee, you've got a compliance committee, a finance committee, and what we're talking about now at the boardroom table, particularly in public companies, is a social media committee. Controlling message to the extent you can um, again, using Bud Light as the example of how extraordinary things can, how bad they can get if you don't have a handle on this. Wow. It doesn't take long for something, times really to change, right, in, in a short amount of time. I wanted to ask you about mortgage rates because they haven't been this high in more than 20 years. How bad is that for a housing market where inventories are so tight as well and in turn for the overall economy? It's not that bad for the housing market. That remains buoyant. It slows the turn of houses because if you have a mortgage at 3.5%, you're not going to take one at 7.5% when you move. So we've got that problem. But where it's manifesting itself into a $1.5 trillion problem is in commercial real estate. Uh, Boston is a, used to be a triple A you know, venue for office space. And these office towers would trade between $750 and $1,000 a square foot. Today you can't sell them for 250 because they're empty. Same in New York. That's a huge mark-to-market down, and you haven't seen the impact of that yet in the markets because this paper has to turn over the next three years. 
And I, I think that's where we're uh, most worried as investors. I certainly am. Um, I've really adjusted our portfolios and our operating company away from commercial real estate, although we did get hit there. But our book is down to less than 2% of commercial, and the rest is all residential, where in certain markets, um, particularly coastal states, it's extremely buoyant. I mean, Miami is an example of, of just how strong those markets are. And so uh, we invest there and in other places as well because there is a trend. Uh, because 40% of staff never came back to the office tower and they're working remotely, well, they want to live in places where they enjoy living. And that's sort of uh, what's occurring in the residential side. Last word for people worried about the economy, worried about their own wallets. What, what advice do you give people? Well, I've learned I never bet against America. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a situation where we're very self-critical about our policies and our politics and the shenanigans going on in Washington and all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, this is the world's largest economy and it has found its path of least resistance through innovation. And so I'm always, always optimistic that we'll innovate beyond what anybody else can do and as a result drive a, a, a growing economy. GDP growth last quarter north of 5%, that's unprecedented too. I mean, I'm not saying that's going to be the annual number, but it just, there's a tremendous amount of productivity that comes from advancements in technology. The latest that's being hyped is AI, but it will actually affect S&P earnings in a positive way over the next decade. And so I, I remain optimistic and I tell people, don't try and time the market. If you're nervous, just have a higher allocation to cash. At least you're getting paid 4 to 5% for that now. But do a, a broad sectoral diversification. I use ETFs. Um, I, I found them to work very efficiently at low cost. But, and, and, and that's what I believe. And, and so if people say to me, oh, the, you know, the whole the market's going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, I've heard that before, <laughs> many, many times. And if you're going to bet on the end of the world, you're only going to get it right once. That's it. And so I, I don't see that happening personally, but you never know, of course. Um, I'm, I'm just generally an optimist, and I'm very encouraged by the fact that I've got multiple men and women in my portfolio that are CEOs of their private companies, uh, in addition to what I do in the public markets. But they're really good entrepreneurs, and they, they figured out a way to survive through what was unprecedented hell on earth during that pandemic. And here we are, having one of our best quarters in history. Shark Tank investor Kevin O'Leary. Mr. Wonderful, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. A recent experiment is good news to scientists working toward advancements in organ transplants. Surgeons in New York City say a pig's kidney transplanted into a brain-dead man worked normally for more than a month and is the latest in a string of developments renewing hope for animal-to-human transplants. It's the longest a pig kidney has functioned in a human, and researchers are set to track the kidney's performance for a second month. Scientists failed for decades with this type of transplant as human immune systems would attack the foreign tissue. This time, a kidney from a genetically modified pig was used on a man whose family had donated his body for the experiment. It could eventually have far-reaching effects. More than 100,000 patients are on the nation's transplant list and thousands die each year waiting. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News.
a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Will Kane. What's on your mind? Hey, what's up? It's Will Kane of the Will Kane podcast. It's now time to start looking back and finding out what went wrong. An after action report. Who is to blame for what happened in Maui? In my estimation, it's more often the case we can explain things away, not through conspiracy, but through incompetence. And what we have in Hawaii is incompetence. It's an incompetence reflected in local government all the way up to the United States of America that allows us to see the world through the prism where we send hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine and can't muster enough support or even words of encouragement for Lahaina. But while we begin to assess that blame and what actually happened, what's conspiracy and what is real, we also have to look forward and understand the value of community, how you build back history. It's hard, but you do it through people. I am inspired by what I saw in Maui. I just got back. The people that I encountered, not government officials, not FEMA, but community individuals there for one another with makeshift pharmacies and communication hubs, there with food and supplies, there with volunteer armies in what I estimate is not just quintessentially Hawaiian, but quintessentially American. That's my vision of America. Community from Lahaina to Sherman, to Birmingham, to Scranton. I'll explain if you'll go subscribe to the latest episode of the Will Cain Podcast. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.